And so as we continue along in our journey of uh, thinking about our church's vision and values, we come today to consider uh, the important topic of worship. Worship, it's what we do. Sometimes people might question what we do as believers. What is our purpose? I remember being with a church member, not from here, but from a couple of churches ago at his work in an uptown area, and it was uh, a significant business, and uh, we were looking around in the offices, and he was telling me about what various ones do, and, and I saw what looked to me like the sharpest dressed man in the whole place, and he was sitting behind a big desk, and I said, uh, what does he do? And the guy that was with me said, he doesn't do a thing, <laughs> but he looks better doing it than anybody on the whole floor. And I've reflected on that sometimes through the years, and I've wondered, Christians, sometimes, you know, we can dress up and look our best, but people might wonder, what is it that we do? What is it that we're about? Well, of course, there are many answers to that question, but primarily as we think in terms of our chief end being to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever, as we glorify God, one of the primary ways that we do that is to worship God as God. And so let's look together at a familiar psalm, Psalm 100. I was telling somebody just yesterday that this was going to be my text, and he said that uh, he remembered memorizing this uh, psalm when he was in Bible school many years ago and still remembers it in the King James Version. So let's read this familiar passage of Scripture, and then let's consider together what it means in terms of church and worship. And so hear the word of the living God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. And so as the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached to you. Amen. Yes, indeed, there have been many people and things through the years that uh, have caused individuals to question what is it that they do. I was told many years ago about a man who had designed a particular machine that had no visible means of, uh, of locomotion. It was difficult to determine what exactly was making it go. It had a lot of gears. It had a lot of wheels. And, man, it, it sure looked really good as it seemed to be a perpetual motion machine, which it wasn't. He actually had uh, an, a, an energy source there that was causing it to go. But in the meantime, looking at it, it appeared as if it was running all by itself. And people came and studied it and were absolutely amazed until there was that one person who asked the question, well, what does it do? And the man said, well, it runs. Look at it. It didn't do anything. It wasn't producing anything. It was just a machine in motion. We need not to be mere machines in motion. God has created us for a purpose. We've been created in his image. We have been created by the word of his power. And we've been placed on this earth to serve him. And there are many ways that we can talk about how we serve him. But primarily we think of that that greatest privilege that we have, which is to worship the Lord our God. And we read the words of the psalmist when he says to make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. And I'm thankful for this psalm. I don't know about you, 
especially as we were singing that hymn a while ago. Like I say, in my own head, I sound like George Beverly Shea. I know in reality it sounds a lot different than that. But I can be thankful in knowing that God doesn't accept my worship or reject it based on the sound of it. You know, I can be slightly off pitch. Gordon, I'm not criticizing at all. I'm grateful for people in Carol who actually have pitch and can hit the note. For those of us who have trouble with that, I can be assured of knowing that the Lord receives my worship because I come in the name of the Lord Jesus and I'm making in his presence this joyful noise. As Charles Spurgeon has said, I think so very aptly, our happy God should be worshipped by happy people. Worship comes, as I've noted there in the outline, from the Anglo-Saxon word worthship. And it means to accord someone worth or worthiness. In fact, you can even read this in older English, as people would be in the presence of royalty especially. They might say, your worship. And we might wonder if that's an appropriate use. But of course, the person who's deemed to have great value or position would be treated in that way, and you would accord them that particular respect or reverence which was due that position. And so we see how that's an appropriate way to think of our activity before the Lord. Inasmuch as Revelation 5.12 says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Worthy. Do you see there the basis for worship? Christ is worthy. All of heaven worships the glorious Lamb who was slain, the one who gave his life to redeem a people unto himself. He is worthy of worship. Now we might ask ourselves what we're worth. What sort of worthiness do we have? And there are people who think more highly of themselves than they ought to think. There are people who think more lowly of themselves than they ought to think, as we know from Scripture. There are people who have that that elevated sense that, uh, you know, I'm God's greatest gift to humanity, and there ought to be respect and recognition for that. And, of course, we call that sort of attitude into question, justifiably. But not when it comes to the Lord Jesus. He is worthy of our worship. That's why we're all about him. Human leaders can and do fail us. Jesus never fails. So as we think in terms of worship, we think of his worthiness. Dr. Robert Rayburn has said aptly in his book on worship, Our attention in worship is on the intrinsic majesty of our God and the necessity of rendering to him that recognition of the glory of his being and his wonderful redeeming work of which he is so worthy. I also have for you in the bulletin a meditation by Dr. Rayburn, which aptly defines worship as being the activity of the new life of a believer in which recognizing the fullness of the Godhead as it is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ And his mighty redemptive acts, he, that is the believer, seeks by the power of the Holy Spirit to render to the living God the glory, honor, and submission which are his due. So we establish, I hope, in our understanding thus far, that the Lord God is the focus of our worship. Note that in our modern society, which seems to be so consumer-oriented, many people have the attitude of going to worship for the purpose of of getting something out of it. It reminds me the story I heard of a man who was offering prayer at a banquet one evening, and 
he was uh, called on to pray, and he didn't speak loud enough to suit the hostess of that gathering. And he was a young preacher. And when he got through, she said, young man, I couldn't hear you very well. And he said, I wasn't talking to you. Our attitude in this consumer society seems to be one of, what can I get out of it? Let me suggest to you something rather revolutionary. Worship is not designed for what you might get out of it. It is for the purpose of what you put into it. It is offering yourself before the Lord as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable in his sight. We're here to worship God. You're not the audience. I'm not being paid at this moment to perform before you. That's the mentality, isn't it? Many times, whether we're leading in music or reading the word or preaching the word or whatever it is that we may be doing. But I would again suggest to you that you are not the audience. God is. And all of us collectively are before him. And our purpose is to worship the Lord our God. Now in the New Testament, there are among the words that are used to describe activities in our being in the presence of God. When it comes to worship, there are two primarily that we think of. First of all, Proskanein, which originally meant the act of bowing down or prostrating oneself, referring to that physical act of showing deferential respect before an earthly ruler. As would often be the case and continues to be in some cultures, when you're in the position of someone who's deemed to be in a superior position, there's a, there's a bowing down before that person. Well, certainly the Lord is superior to all, and so we consistently see throughout Scripture those who would bow down before him, often prostrate on their face before him in the dust. The other word, as you see there, refers to the way a slave serves a master or a hired servant would serve his employer. There's um, many examples that we could use as we think about this. For one, I think of uh, in Matthew chapter 4 where the Lord Jesus in the wilderness is being tempted by Satan. Satan tempts Jesus by saying, worship me. I'll give you all the kingdoms of this earth. But Jesus said, it is written that you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. He employs both words there. Worship, which means to bow before the Lord God only and serve him only. Both are employed as words for worship in the New Testament. So we are called upon to render to the living God the glory, honor, and submission which are due him. So worship is not just the activity of singing or praying or putting a tithe in the plate when it passes by or being under the ministry of the word. Worship is an activity that should characterize all of life, that we should serve the Lord continually. As we think of that Romans 12 passage where we are called upon to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, that we continually present ourselves to the Lord for his service. And so, as we think of our psalm, indeed, 
Joy is at the heart of it. Making a joyful noise. Serving the Lord with gladness. And as Spurgeon, the Baptist preacher in London in the 19th century said, Our happy God should be worshipped by happy people. A real joy. Not a superficial kind of thing, but a profound, deep sense of joy in the Lord. Now, if you're like me, you might readily recognize the need for us to be joyful. But perhaps you might have difficulty grasping God being happy and rejoicing over us. And so here's that passage from Zephaniah that is familiar to us in chapter 3, verse 17, just to help us in guiding our thinking. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. It's astounding to me in Scripture when we read about the sinfulness of humanity, how that we have rebelled against God and we justly deserve his displeasure. And yet God, by his grace, saves a people for himself and repeatedly says concerning his covenant people, you are my treasured possession, my segula in the original. And that God has cause to rejoice. We think of how the Lord Jesus, in his sacrificial death on the cross, we are told in Hebrews chapter 12, that he did it for the joy that was set before him. And what we're given to understand in the context of that passage, the joy comes from Jesus knowing that he would ultimately redeem a people for himself. They would be his very own. And that's cause for joy in the heart of God. So as God rejoices over us, we rejoice in him. After all, he created us. You're here because God wants you to be here. He's fashioned you and formed you, knit you together in his image, creating you specially, giving you life and breath and all things. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Literally, he said, without me, nothing. And that's truth. God is the source of all things. I'm amazed. I continue to be amazed at those who study creation microscopically, macroscopically, looking at this whole vast universe as if it all came about by accident. And we've discussed that just recently. In fact, last week I alluded to it, but I want to affirm to you by God's own authority that you are no accident. You are created by him. He's giving you life at this moment. You have purpose and meaning because your origin is not in some organic mass of material that just happened to come together in the right way. By the way, that's never happened. Scientists have tried to replicate that process of creating organic material out of inorganic material. They can't do it. Life doesn't come from lifelessness. Something, and forgive me for employing a double negative, but remember, I'm from the mountains, so we do that all the time. You can't get something from nothing. It's just not possible. I don't care how many times they try to instill that in us. and I don't care how many documentaries you see on television which talk about how something came from nothing. It's never happened. You're here because God wants you to be here. And furthermore, if you find yourself today having surrendered your life, having repented of your sins and trusting in the Lord Jesus, you are redeemed by the power of God, by the grace of God. 
even at the inestimable cost of the blood of the Savior. God loves you, and we have every reason to rejoice in him. Further, as we look and think and consider this matter of worshiping God because he is our creator, what a privilege it is that we know that we're from him. You know, I, I sometimes I, I try to get too much information, I suppose, out of our dog, Ginger. You know, and I, I think sometimes she ought to be more appreciative of the things that we do for her. You know, like like last night, I give her little treats. You know, I get these milk bone dog biscuits and little tiny ones and give them to her. And I've taught her. She gives me a little paw pound. You know, she'll pound my fist and I give her a, a biscuit. Sometimes I think that's the way I work, too. <laughs> you feed me and I'm, I'm good to go. But, you know, how much do our pets really appreciate? Uh, I think about the donkeys that live at my parents' house. Uh, Gordon and Carol have seen them. A couple of others of you who have driven by have seen them there in the pasture outside of Waynesville. You know, those donkeys, they just are there every day. And uh, my dad makes sure that their watering area is cleared out, and occasionally they get some food. And we were pitching watermelon rinds over there the other day, and, oh, boy, they were just as happy as they could be. But think of it, out of all of God's creatures, we have the capacity to really understand and know that God loves us, that he's created us, that he has redeemed us. How could we do anything other than show our appreciation for all that God is and what he has provided for us? So we we're called on to worship him as the creator, serving him with gladness, coming into his presence with thanksgiving. Because we know that the Lord is God, it is he who made us, and we are his. Brought forth into the world for a purpose, and having redeemed us. Otherwise, how would we know him? Oh, we could know there's a God. Common sense ought to tell us that. Of course, if somebody said common sense is so scarce today, it's not common anymore. Maybe it takes uncommon sense to recognize. Just based on the fact that there's a creation here, that there are all these vast galaxies out there with such immeasurable space between them, that all of that declares to us the glory and majesty of God. Yet having been redeemed, having become objects of his grace and mercy, we see that clearly. Um, I remember Dr. Poland had a video before one of his messages several months ago. and You remember the one where it showed the person who's colorblind and they put on those glasses and enabled them for the first time to see color. You remember how he had to take them off immediately. It was just so overwhelming all of a sudden to have his whole vision transformed. I've also seen those videos, and maybe you have too, where little children hear for the first time or see for the first time. Not just color, but see anything. And the amazing reaction that results. Well, as we engage in worship of God, we are able to see because he's opened our eyes. We're able to hear the truth because he's opened our ears. He has raised us to life. Think of Lazarus, who, having been four days in the grave, was called out of there when Jesus spoke his name. We would like to know more about that, I know, but 
still, Christ gave him new life. And that's, that's an illustration of what he has done for each of us by raising us to life. And we have every cause to rejoice in him. We worship God because he's good. We enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. We give thanks to him. We bless his name for the Lord is good. In the churches in the, is it Caribbean or Caribbean? We get into that discussion. We'll never get out of here. Those churches down in that region, we've been told for a number of years now, they love it when the worship leader gets up and says, God is good. And they respond by saying all the time. And the worship leader says, and all the time. And the congregation says, God is good. It's true. Now, we can engage in the discussion about how evil originated in the world. And what is the purpose of evil in this world? I mean, yesterday, there was, uh, it was uh, designated a, a day to recognize the evil, the awfulness of human trafficking. And I read some stories yesterday that are absolutely troubling to the soul. Just the darkness of evil in this world. And to think of how people are being abused in unspeakable ways for material gain. It's difficult to conceive of just how evil and wicked human depravity can be. But God is good. And he has made the way so that ultimately evil will not triumph. As one of you said to me just this morning, Pastor, I read the end of the book. We win. We win because God wins. And God is determined to include us in the victory. So no matter how dark it may be, there is that light of God's goodness that continually shines on us. And we worship him for that. And we worship him, of course, because of his steadfast love which endures forever of which there will be no end i mean think of all the things in our lives that we really like that have expiration dates you know i can remember coming in one time when i had been uh, working out and i was wondering if there was some good cold milk in the refrigerator and i remember getting in my grandparents house opening the door oh wow good whole milk not that two percent stuff or that other stuff that you can looks like chalk water you can see through it if you hold it up to a light I mean, there was some good whole milk in the refrigerator, and I remember pouring it in the glass and taking a swig of it, and it was just as sour as the day is long. You know, I've learned to look at the date now and actually sniff of it before I try it. So many good things in life have an expiration date. Not your salvation, not the grace of God, and not the love of God. It will never expire. There will be no end to it. We'll be glorying in the love of God just as much a million years from now as we're able to at this moment. Absolutely an inexhaustible supply. He is the one who loves us steadfastly. This word in the Old Testament, chesed, if you say it right, you spray the person in front of you carries with it the same notion that the New Testament word grace does, charis. Even got the same similar sound in different languages. It is that love which God has specially for those who belong to him. It is steadfast. It is unending. It has no expiration date, as is the case with his faithfulness. 
We worship him because he's always faithful. He's always faithful. There's never a time when God will not be faithful. Oh, we lack faithfulness in our own lives. We're so inconsistent ourselves. We can be on one day and off the other. But God is not capricious. He doesn't determine to love you today, but tomorrow, because he feels differently concerning you, he will treat you in a different way. God loves you always because he is faithful. One of the hymns in our hymnal that we didn't sing, but we do oftentimes, is Great is Thy Faithfulness. It comes from Lamentations. A man by the name of Thomas Chisholm wrote that hymn. He was in a nursing facility in New England and uh, outside of Boston in his later years, and I I knew a pastor in my youth who visited Mr. Chisholm, and he talked about what a fine man he was and how godly he was, even there in his bed in that nursing home, how that he talked about God's goodness and faithfulness right up to the last moments of his life, because God's faithfulness is great. And so we worship God for all of those reasons and many more. All of God's attributes are reasons that we would worship him. And we've only scratched the surface here. We'll come back to this subject again next week. But I want to encourage you. I want to exhort you, plead with you. Think of the privilege that we have to be able to worship the Lord. To be able to know him. Not fully comprehend him, but nevertheless know him because he first loved us. To be able to yield our lives to him and service to him. And that everything that we render to him, we would think of as an act of worship. Whether we're washing the dishes or witnessing to a neighbor next door. That we realize our chief end in life is to glorify him. And the great joy which should be a part of getting to serve the Lord our God. I've shared with you before about how this is not so much a matter of having to do something, but getting to do something. And there were... There were tasks that I had in my childhood that I didn't necessarily appreciate. Among those, you know, were having to cap blackberries after you pick them. You know, there's nothing like a blackberry cobbler. But to get those blackberries ready to go in that cobbler required a good bit of work. You had to pick them, first of all, and they tended to grow in not the best place. They grow on briars. And you've got things out there like ticks and chiggers and snakes and other things and it's hot when blackberries are in season. It's a lot of effort to get those things gathered in. But there was a dear soul that I mowed the yard for, Mamma Bonnie Caldwell and her husband Jarvis. And I told you how that when I would go mow the yard for them on Tuesday, she would know that I was coming and she generally would try to make sure that she had her homemade chicken and dumplings there and her homemade biscuits there. I didn't care if they paid me or not. That just didn't matter at all. And she was such a kind and gentle soul. And she said one day when I was there, I sure wish I had me a good, fresh bucket of blackberries. That's all I needed to know. I went home that afternoon and I went down in the briar patch and I picked blackberries and I capped them and I did the very best job I could and I took them to her. And to this day, she said to me, that's the finest looking bucket of blackberries I've ever gotten <laughs> means more to me than if the President of the United States were to give me a gold medal. I didn't get a dime for it. But the joy I saw in Mamaw Caldwell's face made every effort that I put forth more than worth it. If we could only, for a moment, have fixed in our minds 
the fact that God has blessed us beyond anything that we could ever ask or think, we would never come to worship thinking, I guess I have to do this. It's not what we have to do. It's what we get to do. And so we find joy in rejoicing in God our Savior. May it always be so. Father in heaven, of all your creatures, we surely are the most unworthy. Whether we want to talk about dogs or ticks or gators in the pond, they are generally doing the things they're supposed to do. We're the ones who have gone astray. We're the ones who have gone our own way, willfully, stubbornly, in disobedience. And yet you have intervened, and through the sacrifice of your Son, you have reconciled us, even unto yourself. Oh, Father, we pray that you will remind us of your work of creation and redemption, that there may be rejoicing in the hearts of your people, that we might gladly surrender to you our everything that we could pray earnestly, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. For we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so let's stand and sing and offer that as our prayer as we conclude. Stand with me. And so may the love of God our Father and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with and abide with you all, both now and forevermore. And everyone said together.